Today on Unleashcast, I talk to Ariel Cummins, the founder of Microverse. This is a school that trains software engineers all over the world and connects them with international jobs. Previously, Ariel founded Touristi, a travel startup that Lonely Planet acquired in 2013. He grew up in Argentina, he went to school in Europe, he built a business in America, taught in Africa, lived in Asia, but now he's based in Spain. We talk about what it's like to be a remote first company. How do you make it work? How do you scale it? And how do you keep a really good culture? To find out the answers to all these questions and more, keep listening to this episode of Unleashcast. So let's start first with remote work. Um, from one remote first company to another, um, Unleash is a remote first company. We don't have an office. We all work all over the world. What's your experience in successfully operating a company that is remote first? That's a great question. And we can probably talk about that for two hours. So I'll keep it short this time. But um, I've been working remotely myself, myself since 2012 and you know managing remote teams since 2014 and then i started my first like all remote uh company in 2017 uh which is this one microverse and we have team members in 25 countries right now not a single office space and you know probably we will never have one never say never but you know we teach people how to work remotely so it makes sense that we're dog footing you know what we're preaching um so i always go back to three three keywords when I think about making remote work work. And it's um, autonomy, trust, and transparency. I think when you're working across very different time zones, you cannot depend on other people in order to be able to, to make progress, right? It's like, which means that, uh, for example, we always say, ask for forgiveness, not for permission, because if you're waiting for permission, you're not being autonomous. And of course, you know, the more trust you have in yourself, more trust you you have that you know what's important for the company and how things are done, or as a manager, the more that you trust that the people doing the work is equipped to do their work well, you know, the easier it is to give or to have autonomy. So trust is the second thing. And it's very important that in remote organizations, trust is both given and earned. So you cannot just you know control people's hours and what they're doing every every moment of the day like that that's never going to work uh it's going to be really really tedious to make any progress um but at the same time trust has to be earned by showing you know that when you are given that trust you're making progress in the right direction now very 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 often uh most of the decisions we, we make right are decisions that will be just a one-way door that once you make them you know you you potentially can create chaos and destroy the company. And there's no way back from that, right? More often than not, you make the decision. And if if it wasn't the right decision, if you know the other person, your manager, your team members, like find out about that wrong decision 24, 48 hours, there's almost always a way to, you know, to, to, to backtrack that. Uh, and that's where um, like transparency comes in, which is the last part. If you have transparency on what you're doing, right, the progress, the blockers, the doubts, then it's easier to have that trust that you are not blocked, that you are making, you know, progress in the right decision. But also transparency, one example of transparency is, for example, documentation. When you have great documentation, people uh, can make decisions and can do their work more autonomously, and that closes uh, the loop. So um, autonomy, trust, and transparency is how I will summarize how to make remote work work. 
couldn't agree more. Another aspect, I mean, for all the great work that we can do remotely, first adapted otherwise, some people would say that it's more difficult maybe to uh, create a, a kind of cohesive culture. Um, that's something maybe we can get into. But um, another thing that is quite difficult is perhaps hire, or maybe easier. Let's let's see what you think about this. But um, hiring to control for kind of uh, DE and I issues uh, so to make sure that you're hiring diversely uh, with equity and inclusion factored in as well. How does that work? How how would you say that works for you? And how do you how do you make uh, the the best of this situation as a remote company? Yeah, so for us, I've never worked for for an organization with a more cohesive culture than than my careers. And of course, we're still relatively small at uh, six to sixty five people. So we'll see. But we just tripled the, the the size of the team, and the culture has remained as strong as it was before. And we can talk about how we got there and what does that look like, um, you know, in, in in our context. Now, when it comes to like you know the diversity, equity, and inclusion, like. As of today, our team is 65% uh, female. We have team members uh, in North America, Central America, South America, Africa, Europe, Middle East, Asia. Asia is like a minority, but uh, you know, like we span the whole globe. And what I hear all the time from our you know team members is like, I've never worked for such a diverse company before, and I think. It, it kind of makes sense. The more you open your you know, your doors to more people from other parts of the world, the more likely that you will be able to attract people that comes from, let's say, untraditional you know, places, like you know, unexpected places. At the same time, you can't just give that for granted. The type of people you already have in the organization are more likely to attract people like them. We all have our own biases and also limited or past experiences on how we find talent. So probably we'll go and post you know, our job offers in on LinkedIn or in the US, indeed.com. Like these are going to be places that traditionally will attract more of the you know Western world people. Like you have to like be proactive at going to the places like the more diverse like population will be looking for opportunities. Then you have to make sure that you are creating something that is attractive for them. And part of that, as I was saying before, is showing that there are other people that are diverse and this could be a home for them uh, as well. And then, you know, that's just the beginning. Retention is just important. And when you have very diverse, like culturally diverse, you know, I mean, I'm going to use culture as an umbrella for a lot of different, you know, types of, you know, um, like diversity dimensions here. Um, You have... A lot of benefits when it comes to like you know um innovation and and i think the most obvious version of this to me is one where like if you're working with a very global audience and you have a, you know global clients if you have a global team you're more likely to be able to empathize with the thinking the problems the fears of your customers so you're more likely to come up with solutions that actually work for a global population uh but at the same time and i think you know we can tell from everything else going on in the world right now multicultural collaboration cooperation it's really 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 hard and luckily there are very great attempts at codifying why it's hard and what to do about that and you know the first thing that comes to mind is Erin Mayer's book the culture map you know where you explore eight different dimensions of multicultural collaboration and you talk about whether you give feedback in a direct or indirect way, low context, high context communication, more hierarchical, less hierarchical, you know, relationships, more um, 
uh, flexible as flexible with time. They're very different of these things that different cultures will fall in different kind of ranges in the spectrum and understanding how different cultures come together to be able to, to work in a harmonious way through a single way of doing things, it's it's important to get that right. So what I'm trying to say is, yes, being remote will help you attract way more diversity of, of all types. In fact, you know, being able to work from home, not having to move to other places, it will make it more compatible with people who are, you know, new parents, people who have, you know, um, like, um, like some disabilities that, you know, prevent them from being able to have as much mobility as, you know, as I might have. Uh, but in, in all senses, like it helps you with, with diversity, but it's not something that you can give for granted. You have to check your biases. You need to go and find if you really want a diversity, you want to find the people, you want to be able to attract the people, and then you're going to be able to have, you're going to have to work on retaining the people and still working on it and this harmonious uh, working culture as a remote company. Interesting. You mentioned Erin Mayer there uh, as well. She's uh, a keynote at our Unleashed World event in Paris on the second day. Uh, really looking forward to that. She's going to be talking about her book, The Culture Map, as well. Um, let's finish there then. Let's talk about culture. I think um, a lot of people do say it's difficult. You evidently, um, you know, you're, you're a growing company, very successful. Uh, how do you create that co cohesive culture then when you haven't got somewhere to kind of base yourself around and have those necessary day-to-day -day conversations. I'm going to use this quote again. Let me get it right this time because I paraphrased last time. But one of the Basecamp uh, founders said that culture is the byproduct of consistent behavior. So that's, I guess, a good way of looking at um, behaving well or, or, or consistently as a company um, is this, the kind of thing that gives your company that culture, that that um, that atmosphere that people want to work there and, and work for each other and look out for each other. So how does it work for you? What are the what are the tips and tricks or any advice you've got in, on creating a a good culture when you're not all kind of together and you're kind of very disparately uh, spread out across the world? So I think that consistent behavior is a great way of capturing uh, what culture is, although I always expand that idea by talking about like a, a band diagram where in the middle, you do have that consistent set of values, behaviors, and guiding principles. But around all of that, you have a lot of diversity, things that are like unique about each individual. And it is the thing that you have in common that allows you to operate, to be effective, to be efficient, to, you know, uh, to integrate all the other ideas that are like different, coming from different people and different cultures. Um, so it is consistent behavior, but in our case, it is surrounded by a lot of diversity. Both ideas are compatible, and I want to emphasize that. Secondly, I think that great cultures have to be built very, very, very early on. And I'm going to use this as, as an opportunity to mention something that might be obvious for some people, maybe for others it's not. The best practices of remote work are the same best practices of co-located work, same ones. The only difference is that when you are working in a co-located way, you can get away without following all the best practices. Whereas when you are working remotely, if you don't follow the best practices, it's going to be pretty, pretty, pretty hard. The same thing applies to culture. Um, you know, as a founder myself, I can tell whether this is good or not. That's a different thing, but I can tell that uh, the culture of microers it's very connected to my own you know, person as a founder, right? My values, the way that I think, the, the, the way that I operate. And I think that's because culture is not 
something aspirational. You don't say, I want my culture to be X. Let's work towards that. It's who, and you know, maybe at the beginning, it's just one founder, right? And you sit down and you say, what is important to me? What do I care about? Like, how do I like working, right? Um, very often, you also work around your mission, your vision. You think, okay, for that mission and vision, why am I working on this? Right? What are the values behind this? And you know, codifying those values early on is is super important. And then you have normally stages of growth in any company, right? You have the first, you know, four or five employees, then you go to 20, 25 people, then you have to 50, 60, 100. And at each stage, it's important to like take a moment to say, okay, how did our values, our way of working, our operating principles evolve and change? Because there's nothing you can do to stop that from changing. How did they change when we went from like, you know, one person to three, from three to 20, from 20 to 50? And each time you go and reevaluate all those values and guiding principles to see what are the things that are still, you know, aligned with the way they were before. What are the things that have changed and and what have, and will need to be integrated into those values? And what are the things that you might want to, you know, try to see if you want to really keep or not? That can help you assess if there's like good culture fit, you know, with every new team member that that that, that joined the company. And this is why before you go into each one of those you know growth stages uh on, in terms of a headcount it's important that before you do that you integrate those values into your selection process right for example we have a dedicated um, interview in, in in our interview process and it's a culture fit interview where first we do it to avoid uh urgency bias so it's done by someone who is completely independent from the team that is hiring. But secondly, that um, interview is specifically to touch on our seven core values and to explore how this person, you know, manifests or work around those values uh, as part of this new role. But uh, that's by itself is not enough. Then consistent behavior, you have to model that. So you have to, you have to like lead by example. They have to be integrated into everyday's, you know, actions. So for example, we have, uh, something we call Friday shoutouts, uh, where every Friday on the Slack, people will go and share kudos, you know, shoutouts to people who did something. We always follow each one of those kudos with uh, an association to one of the values or many values that are represented by by that action that that person took. Uh, it's also in, in all your your rituals. We have something else that we do. This is a, a live Zoom session that we call BBB, so beverage, brag, and beg. Uh, and we normally follow this by a fourth week called blunder, right? So we celebrate mistakes because mistakes are part of um, having autonomy, which is part of our guiding principles. So for uh, people to have uh, autonomy, they need to be able to have the psychological safety to make mistakes and for that to be okay. And that's why on Fridays, we celebrate the mistakes that people made that week and what they learned from those mistakes. Like you have to bring this into every single thing you do. Uh, and it's very, very important you codify this early and that you think very thoughtfully about each one of these values and guiding principles as you scale your team. Fantastic stuff. Ariel, thank you so much. Really interesting and um, I think behaviours and, and, and advice that everyone should and could get on board with. Pleasure talking to you today and uh, speak to you soon. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.